This week on the Myths and Legends podcast, it's the story of the old nanny goat from Nepal. You'll see that throwing food at strangers is a great way to make friends, especially if those strangers are talking animals. Then, on the Creature of the Week, you'll see that trusting a horrifying looking woman in the forest might just save your marriage before it even starts. This is the Myths and Legends podcast, episode 56. Hope you guess my name. This is a podcast where I tell stories from folklore. Some are incredibly popular stories you think you know, but with surprising origins. Others are stories you might not have heard, but really should. The story today comes from the newer people in the Kathmandu Valley. It's a valley between India to the south and the Himalayas and Tibet to the north. And it's in modern day Nepal. It's home to the most populous city in Nepal, Kathmandu. The valley actually has some mythic origins of its own. The story goes that it was originally a lake and a bodhisattva from Tibet saw a lotus flower floating in the center of the lake. Apparently not wanting to go get a boat, he cut a gorge and drained the lake. It both allowed him just to walk to the beautiful lotus flower and created a fertile valley that would later become a cultural crossroads for two of the world's largest religions. Today's a fairy tale, so date doesn't really matter all that much. Also, an incredibly appreciative special thanks to Studi for help with the pronunciations today, though I have to say, she was beyond helpful, and I was able to correct most of them as best I could, but unfortunately I reached out too late to correct the main character's name. I pronounced it as Mencha, and it's really closer to Maicha. Also, it's Punku Maicha, with Punku being her name, and Maicha meaning little girl. I did not know this, and I just called her Maicha, mispronounced Mencha, throughout. That's what my translation called her. Anyway, on with the show. Mencha didn't know it, but she had a very common problem, for folklore at least. She was sweet and pure of heart and all that, and unfortunately, her mother died. This was heartbreaking in and of itself, made all the worse by her father remarrying and then promptly disappearing from the story, as the spineless dads from folklore are wont to do. Since evil stepmothers are evil, the woman was surprised that, after years of malnutrition, Mancha was not only not starving to death and looking malnourished, but appeared to be much healthier than her considerably more evil stepsister. One day, the stepmother tasked her daughter, the stepsister, with following Mancha on her duties to take the livestock out grazing. She followed the trampled grass and the muddy hoof prints out to the wilderness, and then the younger sister saw them. Mancha was facing Duocholecha, which means the old nanny goat. She was an old goat, the oldest of the group, actually. And the nanny goat's chest was heaving up and down. Then, the goat vomited. Mancha, though, was not disgusted by the vomit. In fact, she was prepared. She held out her hands and caught the hot vomit before it splattered on the ground. Without hesitating, Mancha brought her hands to her face and drank the vomit. The evil stepsister couldn't really help it and reflexively yelled out, oh my gosh, no, that's disgusting. Then Annie Goat bleated and ran off to join the others while Mancha's eyes darted toward the jungle, toward the stepsister. The stepsister knew Mancha could recognize her voice. She might as well come clean and the stepsister walked out from the jungle. Mancha wiped the vomit from her mouth and smiled an awkward smile. Hi, sis. How much of that did you see? Mancha was happy. For the first time since her mother died, she felt like she had a friend. A human friend. The old nanny goat had been kind and kept her alive with its apparently nutritional vomit. Now, though, 
The stepsister knew. The girl had seen what dire straits Mancha had been reduced to, the effect that the mother's cruelty was having, and the girl only hugged her elder stepsister and said that she was sorry. She had no idea that it was so hard. Her mother just told her Mancha was bad and needed to be punished. She didn't know any better. She said she would help Mancha and advocate for her to the stepmother. The stepsister would even share her meals secretly, and she didn't even need to vomit them back up first. The pair laughed. Time passed and they talked like they never had before. When the afternoon sun began to sink lower over the jungle, they walked back to the house, holding hands. And for the first time, Mancha felt like she had a sister. For the first time since her mom died, she felt like she had a family. As they were walking up to the house, hand in hand, the stepmother saw them from the window. She came out, put her hands on her hips and cocked her head. What was this? Had her daughter turned on her too? The sisters walked up until they were standing five feet from the mother, still holding hands. Mancha was happy. She had an ally now. She had a friend. Then, the stepsister pulled her hand away from Mancha and glided to her mother's side. Mother, she said, she's eating the old nanny goat's vomit. That's how she's not starving, and that's why she looks prettier than me. Good girl, the mother said, her eyes not leaving Mancha's. And what do you think we should do? She asked her daughter. Well, kill the old nanny goat, of course, the stepsister said, and gave Mancha a look that said, What, you thought that we were friends? Sisters? That's just pathetic. Mancha ran to the old nanny goat and hugged her, and the stepsister ran off to get something. The mother calmly walked through the herd with a cold smile on her face until she came to Mancha, furiously weeping and holding the old nanny goat close. The stepmother rolled her eyes, and that's when the stepsister returned with the knife. Step away from the goat, Mancha, the stepmother demanded, but Mancha refused. So the stepmother grabbed the goat, wrenching it from the young woman's grasp. The girl was sobbing, and the stepmother spitting curses, and the goat was bleeding loudly. To everyone else, the goat was just speaking goat, but Mancha heard words. She heard, Mancha, whatever has to happen will happen. I will die, but don't worry. Bury my bones in the garden, and there will spring up a big tree, which will yield lots of sweet rice dumplings. In that way, I can keep caring for you after death. Goodbye, Mancha. The goat kicked away from Mancha and into the stepmother's grip, who laughed. Even the goat didn't want to be by the girl. The mother motioned to the stepsister to grab Mancha's head and make her watch. This is common in Cinderella stories, where the stepmother finds the Cinderella character as being helped by a matronly animal and subsequently kills the animal. Though I won't call this a Cinderella story. We'll go over all that at the end. In most of the ways that I've seen, the stepmother does it in secret, in the night, like the Chinese story of Beauty and Pockface that we talked about way back when. This evil stepmother, though, truly lives up to her name. She didn't do it in secret. She wanted Mancha to watch as she cut the old nanny goat's throat and the animal bled out on the ground, right in front of the girl, bleating until it lost consciousness and died. The stepmother wanted Mancha to see what would happen to those that helped the young girl, even if they were just animals. The stepmother wanted Mancha to know that she had no hope. Some servants skinned the old nanny goat, and the family had a feast. Cruelly enough, this was the one meal in years where Mancha was allowed to both sit at the table and eat her fill. But the young woman refused. The stepmother shrugged. If Mancha wants to go hungry, it was her own fault.
When we get back from the break, we'll see that if animals keep talking to you, you should keep listening. And that will be right after this. This week's episode is brought to you by Blue Apron. We've talked about this before, but I do like to cook. I just don't like going to the grocery store with a two-year-old to spend way too much on sesame oil to use like a teaspoon of it. Seriously, that was my day. Blue Apron is great because it sends you fresh, seasonal ingredients with well-written, easy-to-follow recipe cards with pictures. Making your own food is healthier for you, and it's really great to know exactly what's in your food. Their ingredients are sustainably sourced, and you can choose what you'd like to eat each week. If you're counting calories, like I am right now, the recipes come with detailed nutritional information. Really, if you want to easily make awesome meals at home, check it out. Even our two-year-old likes these meals, and that is no small feat. Some meals for January are seared pork chops with farro and cranberry chutney, spaghetti squash and marinara with mushrooms and garlic nuts, and spicy shrimp and Korean rice cakes with cabbage and furikake. And you can check out this week's menu and get your first three meals free with free shipping by going to blueapron.com legends. You will love how good it feels and tastes to create incredible home-cooked meals with Blue Apron. So don't wait. That's blueapron.com legends. Blue Apron, a better way to cook. All right, now back to the show. It was the middle of the night, but Mancha was still awake. She had finished her many, many chores hours ago and went to bed without eating, again. But tonight was the night. She heard the last servant go to bed and crack the door of the cellar where she slept. She stole out of the kitchen to the pots that were still warm on the stove and collected the bones of one of the only friends she had ever known. Everyone was surprised when a tree grew in the garden in only a matter of days, as that is generally rare. No one knew why or how, but from it hung yomari, a type of rice dumpling that, on the outside, is dumpling, and on the inside has kind of a sweet, syrupy, nutty filling. The only issue? The dumplings were high in the tree. The stepmother and the servants couldn't climb it, and the stepsister wasn't allowed, it wasn't safe. So only Mancha could reach the treats in the top of the tree, in the secluded corner of the garden. She would slip away from her duties when the pain in her stomach became too great, and remember the kind nanny goat. One day, while sitting in the tree, she bit into one of the hot yomari, and the filling squirted down below. She heard a, hey, and then, oh wow, this is great. She looked down and she saw a hunched elderly couple resting in the shade of the tree, wiping the filling from their arms and licking it from their fingers. They looked up and smiled and said hi to Mancha. They said that the dumplings were delicious and what, were they growing on the tree? That's amazing. Would the girl toss a few down? Mancha said, sure. There were so many on the tree that she couldn't eat them all, no matter how hungry she got. She gathered three or four and tossed them down to the elderly couple. She heard three or four splats and then waited. She said she couldn't see. Did the couple get the dumplings? Uh, no, the old woman said. They all exploded when they hit the ground, but the bits that splattered all over their clothes were pretty good. Mancha said that she was sorry and gathered a few dumplings in her smock and made her way carefully down the tree. She saw the elderly couple with the dumplings splattered all over them. She apologized again, and they waved it off. It was no matter. They were poor, and the clothes weren't anything special. They were just happy for the dumplings. They thanked the girl, and they all sat and shared the dumplings. The poor elderly couple that never had any children, and the young woman who had, effectively, lost both of her parents. They talked, and the elderly couple began to look on Mancha with more and more sadness. They told her all they ever wanted was a child, but it never happened. And here was Mancha's horrible stepmother, abusing such a wonderful young girl. 
The elderly woman looked at her husband, who smiled and nodded. The woman asked Mecha if she wanted to come live with them. It wouldn't be a glorious life. The elderly couple struggled daily, but she would have enough to eat, and she wouldn't have to do backbreaking labor or sleep in a cellar, fighting the rats for space. Mecha hesitated, but she thought about it. Would her stepmother even notice if she never returned? Well, she would probably notice, but she probably wouldn't care. She had been passively trying to kill the girl since the stepsister was born. Mecha nodded. Yes, she would do it. She would come to live with the elderly couple. The old woman hugged her and told her that they had always wanted a daughter. It was a small home by a river, about a half a day's walk from Mancha's family farm. The couple showed Mancha their one-room house. It was small, and she would have to sleep between the couple on their makeshift bed, but she would have a bed, and she could come and go as she pleased. And she was finally free of the stepmother. It wasn't much, but it was a life, and Mancha knew that she could be happy here. The elderly couple said that they were going to go bathe in a nearby river, on account of way too many dumplings splattering on them by the tree. They'd be back in a bit, but in the meantime, would Mancha mind getting dinner started? They just had the supplies for tamari. It's like a paper-thin rice bread. It's kind of like a rice crepe. Mancha had prepared many meals that she wasn't allowed to eat, so yes, she knew how to make tamari. The elderly couple smiled and went to go take a bath. Mancha worked happily in their small kitchen, rolling and then cooking the chitamari on the stove. Then, out of the corner of her eye, she saw something. It darted across the floor. She turned quickly and saw it was a mouse. But unlike most other mice that would run and hide, this one was up in the cupboards. And that's when Mancha saw its tiny mouse mouth move. Hi, it said. I have a secret. Oh, okay. And, said Mancha, who at this point was way too comfortable talking to strange animals. And I'll tell it to you. If you give me a little bit of that bread, the mouse said, and put his adorable, disease-ridden paws together. It was a fair trade. The mouse couldn't eat much, and on the chance that she was actually hallucinating and the mouse wasn't talking to her, well, it was only a bit of the bread. She gave it the food, and the mouse took it and ran away. She shrugged. At moments, though, it was back, and said, again, that it had a secret. But he did not say how much bread he would need. He assured Mancha that the amount was between the morsel that she just gave him and all the bread in the house. And it was a really important secret. No rush, though. Mancha tore off a bigger piece and tossed it to him, and again he ran off, and then, in moments, he was back, again saying that he had a secret. She tossed him an even larger piece of bread, and he sized it up, sat down, and began eating. She was finished making the bread at this point, and just sat down and eagerly awaited the talking mouse's secret, as any sane person would do. He asked her, how long does it take to bathe? She cocked her head. What did that mean? The mouse said, let me be clearer. When did you last hear splashing in the river? The girl said that that didn't mean anything. The couple might just be done bathing. What did he mean? The mouse smiled and took another bite, finished chewing and swallowed. Listen, he said, what do you hear ringing out on the wind from far away? The girl shook her head. She, she said she was sorry. She still wasn't following. It had been a long day. The mouse sighed. It's a grindstone. The people that brought you here they probably came to you in the form of the nicest people you've ever met, right? The mouse sighed again. They weren't people. They were demons. Right now, they are almost out of earshot, sharpening their knives. The girl was making bread, right? Well, what did she think they were going to eat with that bread? Mancha shook her head. She refused to believe the mouse. She said that the elderly couple was poor, that they didn't have money for meat or vegetables. 
The mouse shook his head as he finished the last piece of bread. They had done this sort of thing before. There have been others. So many children. The couple watches children for weeks to pick out the vulnerable ones. Ones that wouldn't be missed. Ones that would be forgotten. The mouse had seen it happen so many times. But Mancha had been nice to him. So he would be nice to her. The ringing of the grindstone far off had just stopped. Mancha had minutes and she must not leave through the front door but lock it and dive out a window. Also grab a bag. The demons were thieves, too, and they had untold riches stashed within the walls. Mancha had about three minutes to grab as much as she could, spit on the steps by the front door, and get out the window. Mancha was confused. Spit on the steps? The mouse said, yeah, if you spit on something, it will keep talking in your voice long after you've been gone. It happens all the time in folklore. My guess is that is because it's part of your body you're leaving behind, so it can talk as if you're here, but what do I know? I'm just a mouse. Also, you now have two minutes. He led Mancha to a wall, and as she tore open a hatch, gold coins, gemstones, and silver poured out onto the floor. She scooped as much as she could into her bag, and the mouse squeaked. One minute, she rushed to a window and pushed the shutters open. Don't forget the spit, the mouse squeaked. He was riding on her shoulder at this point. She dropped the bar to the door and spat a few times on the stairs. She flung the riches out the window and heard the mouse squeak. Goodbye. Now run as fast as you can. She felt the mouse run down her back and returned to the house as she struggled out the window. It was almost night now, and she didn't know the area, but she ran until her muscles burned and she couldn't breathe, and then she ran some more. Every time she didn't know if she could go on, she only thought of the elderly couple returning with evil, hungry smiles on their faces, knives in hand. They did return, and finding the door locked, they pounded on it, and they asked Mancha to please open up the door. And the spit, yes, the spit, like the mouse said, that's pretty common, said that, She'd just be one more minute. And when a few minutes passed, and she kept saying, oh, it'll just be one more minute, the elderly couple became anxious. Seconds later, the bar on the other side of the door splintered and broke. They saw their gold and silver all over the floor, shook their heads, and cursed. She had gotten away. Mancha ran for hours until she found the road. And it was another 45 minutes until she knew where she was. It wasn't until the sun began to rise over the mountains that she saw her home. She burst through the door and collapsed. She didn't know what she expected to find inside. Probably the whole house asleep and not missing the unwanted daughter at all. That was not what she found. Her stepmother was there and she had been sitting up with the father all night. He had returned from his travels the previous afternoon to surprise the family but was beside himself when Mancha didn't return that night. He was out looking for her until it became too dangerous and she found him organizing servants and others from the village to go look for his daughter. The stepmother rushed to Mancha who was dirty and tired on the floor, and began yelling at her, cursing her for making them stay up all night. But the father pushed his wife out of the way and went to his daughter. He was weeping. He said that he was so happy she was safe. Why did she leave? What happened? Mancha told him everything. She told him about the stepmother's abuse, about the old nanny goat, and about the elderly couple, who were probably demons, but that really depends on the trustworthiness of a talking mouse, which is neither here nor there. The father looked at his wife with hatred. The stepmother had said everything was okay. This didn't look okay. She was so terrible to his daughter that his daughter would rather go with demons than be here in her home. The stepmother sneered at Mancha and left the room. She knew that there was still a way. It became obvious to the stepmother that her marriage was over. She would have very few rights in this situation, so she needed to think of another plan. And it sounded like the gold in the house was only guarded by two people. If she and her daughter could get that gold, then they might be able to build their own life. She went to the stepdaughter. She told the girl to hide in the tree in the garden and wait for an elderly couple to pass under it, and ask for some of the tree's fruit. She should go with them, 
but remember the way home. The stepmother said that there was something about a mouse, but a talking mouse is almost as ridiculous as eating goat vomit, so don't worry about that. Mange is probably just crazy. Just wait until the elderly couple goes to sleep, and then she should open the walls and grab as much of the gold as she could and come home. The stepdaughter shrugged. Okay, that didn't sound so hard. Waiting in the tree later on that morning, the stepdaughter saw the harmless old couple come and inspect the leaves. She saw a flash of rage in their eyes at first, until they saw her face, and that she wasn't Mancha. They asked the sweet girl to throw them some dumplings. The old couple, or the demons, were extremely happy with this freebie child that they barely had to convince to come with them. When they got back, they said that they had to go gather firewood and went to get their knives, already sharp. When they left, the mouse walked to the center of the room and squeaked that, once again, it had a secret. She saw the dirty little mouse and pinched a piece of bread, tossing it across the room, away from her. She didn't like mice. When the mouse came back, the stepsister brushed some crumbs off the table and told it she didn't care what it had to say. She was going to be rich, and she would kill the rodent the next time she saw it. Unfortunately for both of them, the mouse did not heed her warning and returned a third time wanting to give the girl one final chance before the demons returned. The stepsister was ready with a hot poker. It could have been the weight of the poker or the searing orange metal, but the stepsister killed the mouse. She found that when she tried to kick the body out the door, that she couldn't even open the door. It was barred from the outside. The windows were locked shut too. She was trying to convince herself that this, this was probably okay. When the front door opened, the couple had returned with something in leather pouches. They stowed them on either side of the bed and asked the stepsister about the bread she was supposed to make. Dinner was meager, just the chitamari, and soon it was time for bed. This is where an already dark story gets even darker. As we talked about, guests had to sleep in the same bed as the elderly couple, and they put her between them. She had planned to wait until they fell asleep to rob them blind. She never made it that far. The elderly couple was excited about their dinner, and a few minutes after they laid down, the husband took his long knife and cut into the stepsister's arm. It was at that moment that the stepsister realized that she had made a grave error, and she saw how much danger she was in. She cried out and gripped her bleeding arm, scrambling to the other side of the bed. Then she bumped into the wife. She heard in an otherworldly voice, Oh, is my husband pinching you? Come over to my side of the bed, where you'll be safe. The stepsister turned around, but she didn't see the kindly, wizened face of the wife. But in the glow of the dying fire, she saw the round, red face and wild black hair and white fangs of a Loki, a demon. The demon was holding a knife. In the stormy night, far off in that lonely house by the river, no one heard the stepsister's final screams. The next morning, early, before the sun rose, a stooped elderly couple was seen making their way to the garden with the dumpling tree and hanging what appeared to be wind chimes on it. They left and were never seen in that area again. Later that morning, the stepmother woke. She got ready quickly and combed her hair. She was excited to see her daughter and all the riches she had taken from the elderly couple. Then they will be leaving not needing that spineless old merchant anymore. 
Sitting by her window, she heard the dull thud of what she thought was a new wind chime on the tree in the garden. Not a very nice one by the sound of it, but that was the least of her worries. Then, for the first time in her life, she, too, heard animals talk. A crow, perched on a nearby windowsill, called at her. Hey, you're combing your hair, trying to look nice, but your daughter is nothing but bones. The stepmother, combing her hair, said aloud that, Wow, what a cryptic statement. I wonder what it means. The bird said, Wait, really? It means that your daughter is a skeleton. The mother, still combing her hair, just said, Huh, that's a weird way to look at it. In a way, we're all sort of skeletons, just wearing a skin suit. The crow would have facepalmed if it had a palm. Hmm... Okay, it said, I was trying to save you from a really nasty shock when you saw your dead daughter's bones hanging in the tree, but I really don't even know what else to say. So, good luck. The mother set her calm down and wondered why birds speak in such inscrutable riddles. Now to stand up quickly and see those new wind chimes on the tree in the garden. When she looked up at the tree, she screamed. Just one version I found had it where a bird was being frighteningly specific about the fate of the stepdaughter and the mother just wasn't getting it at all until she saw the tree. And I thought it was a funny way to break the news of murder. Anyway, the father had some sympathy for his wife until he learned exactly what happened to his stepdaughter, that the stepmother hadn't listened to Mancha's story and had willingly sent her daughter to her death. That, in addition to Mancha's years of abuse, was too much. He never forgave his wife. And though they remained married, they hardly spoke again. The father did beg Mancha for her forgiveness, saying that he had no idea what was going on and that he would try for the rest of his life to make it right. The gold that Mancha brought back was enough so that her father didn't need to travel so much so that he could stay home. Because of her deep shame, the stepmother was no longer a threat to Mancha and the girl grew up once again happy and safe and once again part of a family. this story. It hits some of the same beats as the Cinderella story, as I said, but it does something a little different with the tropes. I mean, you have the evil stepmother and stepdaughter, the supernatural helper, the talking animals, and the ineffective father. But in general, Cinderella's story seemed to end with the persecuted heroine fleeing the abusive situation and going to live with her new husband, Prince Charming, a man of some station or means, and the mother and or sisters experiencing some sort of brutal repercussion for their abuse, usually supernatural in nature. But in the story, there was no Prince Charming, only a seemingly nice elderly couple. And the first time I read the story, I thought that was going to be her out. But they were demons. And she actually ran back home and talked to her father, something that I've never seen happen. The fathers usually just disappear or die. Mancha wasn't allowed to flee her life, but she had to confront the very problem that had caused her to leave. And actually ended with a happy relationship with her father and the stepmother being brought to justice, in a sense, and revealed and shamed for her abuse. Not to get too 21st century, but Mancha learned that she didn't need a Prince Charming to come save her, but that she was strong enough to confront and overcome the problems in her own life. Okay, so I was doing a good amount of research on goats in Nepal for this episode and found numerous articles by Heifer International, a charity that provides livestock, education, plants, and more for people in areas with a history of poverty. It provides food, a source of income, and helps to empower people and build sustainable commerce. Basically, you can send a goat or cow or even a water buffalo to people in need, and they can use it to better their lives. Right now, they have a campaign to empower women in Nepal. Like in today's story, there sometimes aren't enough forage plants near farms, so oftentimes women will need to take their goats into the forest to graze. 
with massive amounts of mosquitoes and tigers. This particular project works with women in Nepal, providing them seeds for forage plants so they don't need to take long, dangerous treks. And then they provide them with goats, as well as access to educational materials, milk collection, and chilling centers, and more. After today's story and discovering this in my research, I was moved to do something. So Carissa and I made a Myths and Legends fundraiser page to raise money for this on heifer.org, and we made the first donation. It's no big deal if you do or don't, but if you'd like to help out women in Nepal, this is a great way to do so. And you can go to mythpodcast.com slash goats. That's mythpodcast.com slash goats, G-O-A-T-S, to be redirected to the fundraiser page. There are also links in the show notes and on the post on mythpodcast.com. And real quickly, there's a new episode of Career Day out this week, too a podcast we do that's hosted and produced by my wife, Carissa. This week, it's Doodlers of the World. So a graphic novelist, a syndicated cartoonist, an animator for the show Archer, and more. It's a really cool episode where they talk about the different roads people take to be in that industry, as well as what it takes to have a job in a creative field. As someone who always wanted to be a cartoonist but doesn't quite have the chops, it was a really cool listen. It's at itunes.careerdayshow.com if you're looking for it on iTunes, or you can just search for Career Day by Carissa Weiser, wherever you get your podcasts. The creature this week is the Habitrot from Scottish folklore. One day, a beautiful young woman was walking along the hills of Scotland when she found a rock. It was a normal rock with a normal hole in it, and without thinking, she put it up to her eye as she skipped along. She went another few feet before she stopped and screamed. She dropped the rock but the thing was gone. She picked it back up and looked through the hole, and she realized she could only see the creature through the hole in the rock, and wow, was the creature rough to look at. It was an elderly creature sitting by a tree, spinning flax, and apparently, all that spinning had deformed her lip, flattened her thumb, and of course, given her flipper feet. The creature, far from being as evil as she looked, was ecstatic that someone could see her. She waved and smiled at the young woman, and the woman was convinced to come over and take a seat. There have been like two instances in the Creature of the Week section where following the call of a creature into the forest does not end in deadly tickle fights or someone being eaten. This was one such instance. The Habitrot and the young woman had something in common too. The young woman also knew how to spin, and her mother bragged that she was the best and fastest spinner ever known. This was not true. One, because the Habitrot was the best and fastest spinner ever known. And two, because the young woman's mother just wanted the young woman to marry the local lord. As we saw in the Rumpelstiltskin episode, you should only lie to rulers about your child's spinning ability if you don't actually care about the life of your child, and you want them to seek supernatural creatures of varying degrees of sketchiness. Luckily, the Habitrot is on the normal side of the sketchiness continuum, and she agreed to help the young woman. Cut to the next night, where the Habitrot snuck into the young woman's room and spun the enormous pile of flax. The Lord was happy, and ever the hopeless romantic said he planned to put his new wife's ability to work. Every night, for the rest of her life, she would spin flax. Fairy tale romances are truly magical. The young woman went in tears to the Habitrot's home, under the tree where she was first seen spinning. Their lie would be revealed, and the young woman would be killed. The elderly creature put her armor on the girl and said to leave everything to the Habitrot. The next day, at the wedding, the young girl waited until she was told to kiss her husband. She didn't, and she shoved the stone in his eye and turned him toward the audience and he was face to face with the Habitrot. With her deformed lip, flat thumb, and flipper feet, she grabbed his face and told him to look at her. Really drink it in, absorb the ugliness. This, all this, 
came from spinning. This is what your wife will look like if you make her spin flax. Is that what you want? Do you want your wife to look as ugly as me? The Lord shook his head. Are you going to make her spin flax every night? The Lord shook his head. All right, good talk, the habitrot said. Now take the stone off your eye. You may kiss the bride. The habitrot went away smiling. And from that day forward, the young woman never had to touch a spinning wheel ever again. That's it for this week. The theme song is by the band Broke for Free, and the Creature of the Week music is by Steve Combs. Links to other music are in the show notes. If you like, you can follow the show everywhere at Myth Podcast, M-Y-T-H Podcast. The show's on Facebook and Twitter and sometimes Instagram. All right, thank you so much for listening, and I'll see you next time. Thank you.